Good morning. Hey there. Welcome. We are uh, glad to see you. It's December, and so we're getting ready for Christmas. Uh, this whole month, we're starting a series called Seasons Greetings. And I know that sounds really like politically correct, and that's like the generic greeting that people that don't want to commit to a certain holiday say. That's not what we're doing with this series, okay? We can be as unpolitically correct as we want to be, all right? That's, that's not a problem. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the greetings that happened in Christmas time, the first Christmas, through uh, angelic messengers and their divine message. There was four different instances where angels appeared in that first Christmas season and had something very specific they wanted to say uh, to God's people. And so that's what we're going to look at the next four weeks. And um, there's a common thread in all four of those messages when the angels show up that first Christmas season and they, had to, they wanted to come and they wanted to talk about fears. There was fears inside of each of the people they spoke to. And so we're going to look at how God wants to deal with our fears. And before you say, uh, listen, I don't have fears. I don't walk around in fear. I just want you to realize that fear is great at disguising itself. It takes on many different faces. Fear can come in the form of anxiety and worry. Uh, fear can look like anger and impulsive behavior. Fear can look like insecurities and unwillingness to branch out and try new things. Fear can look like doubts and discouragement. And, and honestly, uh, there's really, when we boil it down, those fears, you can sort of sum them up into two places. Either we're fearful of some sort of failure or, or tragedy in our life, or we, we really sometimes fear people and what their approval and what their opinion in a, is of us. Well, if that's true, um, we can have three of, one of three responses to fear. Really, not just today, not just during this series, but really for our lives. We, we have one of three choices. We, uh, you and I, can be slaves to fear, and we can live our entire lives being wrecked by fear, waking up in fear, going to bed in fear. Uh, or you and I can learn how to manage fear and just uh, sort of... Um, deal with it as it comes in the rest of your life. You try to over, um, overcome it in this instance only for it to come back again, and you manage your fears over and over again each instance that you are fearful. Or you and I can learn how to overcome fear. That when fear arises, it's not that it's a battle. You realize you've already won the battle against any fear that may come your way. So that's what we want to do in this series. Today and the next three Sundays, including Christmas Eve, we'll be looking at the, the Christmas story through that lens and how God wants to deliver us from our fears. And so we'll hope that you'll come this month and invite some folks to come with you. It's going to be a great time together. So let's jump in into the scriptures. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And this is the first, chronologically, the first visit of an angel in the Christmas season. And it comes to a man named Zechariah, who's actually Jesus' uncle, though Jesus isn't born yet. And Zechariah was a priest who served in the, in the temple, and that's where this encounter occurs. So starting in Luke chapter 1, in verse, um, let me get this right. I'm not sure which verse. <laughs> I think it's verse 11. It says this, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with what, guys? Help me out. With fear. Startled and gripped with fear. Wait a minute, don't do that yet. Hang on, don't steal my thunder. Go back. 
Okay. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> we'll get to that. So they were startled, and that's what I mean by startled. You, we all get startled. That's why we go to haunted houses is because you like a good scare, right? So I did. I brought a few pictures. I could literally look at these all day. But here's one uh, from a haunted house. And I don't, that guy, I, don't, I think his eyeballs are popping out of his head at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's good stuff. <laughs> look at the other ninja fingers on the other guy. I like that. Okay. <clears throat> all right, go to the next one. This is my favorite. They're hiding behind each other and grabbing onto stuff. Four grown men. <laughs> I could watch these all day. Okay, go to the next one. <coughs> Digging her claws into the girl in front of her. I don't think she's scared. I think she's in pain from the finger, the clawing. And uh, we got one more. Father and son are freaked out. <laughs> I think the dad's more scared than the kid. Uh that would be me, honestly, in a haunted house. I would lose my mind. That's what we mean by startled. It's a jolt. And Zechariah would have been in the temple by himself in a quiet, meditative, serving God kind of move. And boom, an angel in his power and glory shows up and would have freaked him out like that. But on top of being startled, it says he was also gripped with fear. Now, this is something different. And the fear came in the awesomeness of the angelic creature. When this being shows up, this angel isn't God, but it it has a little bit of the glory and majesty that God himself has. And the being is so awesome to behold, so powerful and mighty and awesome. This is the normal response. When an angel comes, usually a person falls to their face in awe of just the presence of the being that has been in the presence of God. Think of it this way. Suppose you're at the zoo, but, and there's, you're at the lion exhibit, but there's no glass. There's no glass there. You're eye to eye with a lion, and you, re- you know in your heart, this thing can devour me in an instant. It has power and complete sway over my life. That's what it would be like to be in the presence of an angel. This being is beyond me. It's more than I can imagine. And so this is what the angel says. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Let me read that again. Do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Now, this is significant. I want you to understand something. Uh, when, When the angel shows up and God's message to this man is, I don't want you to live in fear. Guys, can I tell you something? The same message is true from God to you today. His message to you, if you wrestle in fear, is that I don't want you to fear. Do not fear. It is a command that we see over and over in scriptures. And God says, I don't want you to live in fear. And if you do live in fear, I want you to realize something. It is not because God planned it or ordained it. And that is the cross you are to bear in your life. You and I have fear in our lives because we choose fear to have fear. That's never God's plan for your life. It is never God's purpose in your life for you and I to live in fear. And so his message to Zechariah is the same message to you and I today. It is do not be afraid. You say, oh, that's great, but how do I get there? Well, we'll get to that. 
Now he says, not only do not be afraid, he says, your prayers have been answered. And this is interesting because the scholars are divided on what prayer. The scripture isn't specific on what exactly that prayer was or that God is answering. It was either one of two things. And the scholar says, it's either that Zechariah had been praying, God, would you in my lifetime allow me to behold the Messiah, the one that was to come and to save us from our sins and deliver us from all that is uh, wicked in this world, Jesus, they don't know the name yet, but Messiah would come. Would you let me see him with my own eyes? Or his prayer was, let me have a son. Let me have a child. And in either case, whichever one this is, God, we're going to see, God is answering his prayer regardless of which one it was. And it says this, The angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So it's a beautiful promise that God has given that he's going to finally get a child and this son, and he is to name him John. Now, John means, the word, the name means God is gracious. God is gracious. And he chooses that name for John on purpose, I think, for Zechariah's benefit to realize this prayer that you've been praying and that some scholars think you've prayed to the point where you've stopped praying it because uh, we're going to see later his reaction. Uh, the prayer that you've stopped praying and thought was unanswerable, God's going to answer that prayer. The thing that you thought was out of reach, God's going to do for you. And God is gracious. He didn't have to do this, but by grace, that means you get what you don't deserve. Uh, I'm going to allow these things. I'm going to give you these good things because I'm a good God, and I long to be gracious to you. I love to give gifts to you. I love to do for you uh, more than I have to. Now, as a parent at Christmas time, you get that. Man, I I would love to shower my kids with gifts, and we do okay. They, They do all right. I mean... The tree's pretty full. And we love to do that, right? We love to shower them with the gifts because they're our child. Where does that come from? God himself is the generous, gracious giver that longs to give his children good gifts. And he's still generous today. But here's their instructions about John, their child. He says, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now just reading that, you realize God had a very specific and powerful and significant plan for John, didn't he? John was somebody special. And in fact, so he said, I want him to have a sort of a Nazarene vow like Samson, that he's not to drink any alcohol. He's set apart and holy for my purposes. And he's going to call the nation of Israel. He'll be the forerunner that will call the nation back to their God. And he's even going to have the Holy Spirit in him before he was born. While he's in the womb, the Holy Spirit will indwell this kid. Now that's not normal. You didn't come out that way, and I didn't come out that way, okay? Uh, We love our kids, but they are not Holy Spirit-driven, all right? (laughs) They cry in the middle of the night because they want something from you. 
See, in the Old Testament, this is remarkable. Before Christ came, the Holy Spirit would come on, in power on people and, and perform a certain task or, or do something significant, and the Holy Spirit would do that, and then he would leave them and maybe come back at a different time. Very few instances that would happen. After Christ, after Christ's ascension, the Holy Spirit, it says in the Scriptures, Ephesians 1, that those who believe are marked with Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So a beautiful, generous gift of our God that those who are in Christ, after Christ has come, receive the Holy Spirit the moment they believe in Christ. Well, John, John got something really remarkable as a as a. As someone in the womb, he comes out with the Holy Spirit and he's empowered by God every day of his life to live for God, to, do, to bring glory to God. And the Holy Spirit is the one in us and in him that does such things. And in John, he calls a nation and gets them ready that the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ would come and they would receive him as their Lord. Now, I also want to point out that he mentioned that, he, that John was going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And say, what in the world does that mean? I want to unpack that just for a minute. He says he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And I want you to realize, if you read the Bible like a novel, this, this makes perfect sense to the Jews because the last, the last place where the Old Testament leaves off, it's talking about Elijah will come. We're going to read that in a second. And then here in Luke, if you read the New Testament like a book, this is right where it picks up the first chapter of Luke. Look what it says, the last two verses uh, in your Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It says this. It's a promise. It says, see, I will send the prophet who? Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will listen. It's a exact quote. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So what's the angel saying? He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. You're going to get this forerunner of Christ. That's going to be your child. That's your son. John is going to be this guy that will turn the people back to one another and back to the Lord. But there's a double meaning here, and I want Jesus to say it better than I can. And he said it in Mark chapter 9. Look at this. He says, to be sure, Elijah, they were asking uh, Jesus about things. And he said, be sure, uh, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it, is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just it was written about him. What is he saying? John the Baptist came, and he said, Elijah has already come, because John the Baptist was this forerunner in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not Elijah, but he was like him in that he was a mighty prophet, filled with God's power, filled with God's spirit, and he, he did everything God asked him to do and prepared people for the Messiah, and then they imprisoned him and they cut his head off, and they did everything to him that they wanted to. But he's also saying, not only did John the Baptist come in the spirit of Elijah, Elijah himself is actually coming. That there will be a day before this big, this terrible, dreadful day of the Lord, that before God ends all things and, and ushers into his kingdom, that Elijah will come back near the end before the final judgment. Revelation chapter 11 unpacks that more and said, yes, Elijah himself will come as well. <laughs> Imagine you're Zechariah for a second. And this angel says, 
you're getting the son you've always hoped for. Not only that, he's going to be the forerunner, the prophet, like Elijah. He's going to be mighty in God's sight. I mean, that is like the lottery of parenting, isn't it? Zachariah would be like, holy cow, that's awesome. It'd be like when your kid comes home and they you know, I think I'm going to go pre-med. You don't have to worry about retirement. I got you, Dad. I got you. It's going to be good. Or, or, or your son, you know, hey, I'm marrying into a lot of money. You know, that's really a good news. Everything's good. Zachariah ought to be pumped. He couldn't have better news. And here's how he responds. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Guys, here's why I want you to see this. This is exactly what fear looks like. This is exactly what fear is like. Things can be going exactly according to the plan of God in your life, but because you don't understand it or you have doubts or insecurities, fear rears its ugly head and you miss out on the blessing and the promises of God. Zechariah totally misses it. He can't believe the news. He doubts. He comes up with reasons of why this can't happen. There's got to be other, um, there's got to be mistaken. It reveals his insecurities. He sees an angel in all of its glory. So much so, he's gripped with fear. He's been delivered wonderful news that God is going to be gracious to you and grant you request. And not only are you going to get a child, not only are you going to get to see the Messiah, your child's going to be the forerunner of Christ, and he's going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. You're going to have the easiest parenting job on the planet And he forgets it all in an instant. In an instant, forgets all that God wants to do. He forgets his awe of God. And guys, when you and I slip into fear and insecurities and doubts and worry and anxiety, we forget uh, all that God has promised and all that God is in the same way. See, our awe of God ought to remove all fears. Our awe for God, our fear of Him, our respect for Him, knowing who He is and what He does, knowing how capable He is, how loving He is, how generous He is, ought to remove any single fear from our lives. We should live fearlessly knowing our God is for us and not against us. And so that was in your blanks there. Our awe for God ought to dissolve all of our fears. See, a healthy fear for God ought to trump any other fear that we're facing. Because if we fear him and have awe for him and know that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he will do and the promises he made are true for you like they are for me, then we have nothing to fear. Not how it works with Zechariah. That's not how it works in our lives, if we're honest. The problem we run into is as we get our eyes off who God is and we begin to focus on the limitations, we begin to focus on the insufficiencies, we begin to focus on the barriers and the obstacles and the problems, even our own limitations, and that fear cripples us spiritually and in other ways.
But when we get a good grip on who God is, when we're reminded of who he is, if Zechariah would have just went, wait a minute, this is, this is the awesome being talking to me. This is the mighty lion in front of me. Can't the lion do what the lion wants to do? If you and I would simply remember who makes the promises, how good he is, how generous he is, how kind he is, how patient he is, that would destroy doubt. It would remove fear. Say, well, that sounds great, but I just know, I know life how it is, and there's got to be a catch somewhere. I, maybe I've got to be at a certain place in my life for God to treat me that way, or maybe I'm unworthy of God doing generous things for me and conquering my fears. Um, may, maybe God just isn't as good as you're saying he is, or maybe he's is not as involved in our lives as you say he is. Guys, can I tell you definitively, with God, there is no catch. With God, there is no catch. And He is good. He's as good as the Scriptures say that He is. That He delights in removing your fear. He delights in removing my fears. He longs to be gracious to us, to give us good gifts that you and I don't think we deserve. And He says, it's not about you, it's about me. See, when God longs to be generous and gracious to us, whether it's removing fears or otherwise... It has far less to do with where you and I are and how good we are. And it has everything to do with how good he is and how he longs to be gracious and loving and compassionate to his children. If we would just believe God is who he says he is and he'll do what he promises to do. But we're like Zeke here, aren't we? We forget. Oh, Zeke, it took about two seconds to forget what was right in front of him. Focusing on our problems and our limitations instead of focusing on the God of promises. And it is impossible to move forward in faith when we're stuck in fear. Our fears will keep us from experiencing things that God wants to do in our lives. In fact, I believe if Zeke hadn't changed, if God hadn't changed his mind through a series of events we don't have time to look at, I'm not sure God would have done it the way he did it. He had to bring him around. And if he was going to do through him and through his family what he wanted to do, he had to come around in faith. And so I'll say it this way for your notes. To step forward in your destiny, you have a destiny. God has a destiny for your life. He's got purposes he wants to fulfill. And for you and I to step forward in the destiny he has for us, we have to step away from security. See, faith always involves risk. Faith always comes the moment of of crisis and a crisis of belief. Will I trust what I've experienced? Will I trust what I feel? Will I trust what I know? Will I trust God who is unknown and unseen and I don't know for sure if it's going to work out? Do I trust him? Do I trust my experience? And then the angel says to him, I'm guessing Gabriel was disgusted. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah stays mute. He can't speak a word until John is born. And when John is born, uh, John was not a family name, and so they were going to name him something else. And, but when they get to John, they say, he, he, what are we going to name the child? He asks for something to write with, and he writes down, his name is John. And his faith kicks in. And he finally believes God, that this promise is true, that God is gracious, and my son is who God claims to be. And with, now that he's watched his older wife give birth to a son, his faith has become sight, and he knows what he should have known in this moment, he finally realizes God is able to do the impossible. Anything you're facing, whatever temptation, whatever your past holds, whatever the circumstances in your life may be, we've we've witnessed it time and again. God is the conquering God and can overcome every one of those fears. For Zechariah, the fear of the unknown was crippling. Physically, literally crippling. He was mute. And I think that's symbolic for us. Because he didn't believe God and respond in faith, he was mute. Questioning God, and I believe God takes that seriously. When, he, when it's clear what God has said and we doubt him, that's sin. That's not just a, oops, I missed it. When we fail to believe God, when he's clearly spoken, that's sin. And so he goes mute. When we give in to fear, I want, this is what I want you to understand. When you and I give in to fear, we give up far more than we realize. The cost is way higher than you and I realize. We miss out on our destiny and we will live our lives with a disability. I'll say that again. When you and I give in to fear, we will miss out on our destiny and we will live life with a disability. So it's not worth it, is it? Whatever we fear isn't worth it. We can take steps today and every day to overcome the fears in our lives. We're going to spend three more weeks looking at it, but I want you to just realize, realizing something. You can overcome whatever fear you're facing today, today, by faith, by trusting God, by believing God. By, by looking at him and his promise and who he is, more than you look at whatever you're fearful of, if you'll simply fear God and say, God, I don't want to miss out on your blessings. I, wanna, I don't want to miss out on your presence. I don't want to doubt you when you're so believable. I'm going to choose faith over fear. See, some of you live in fear. Live in fear. It's your constant companion. It dictates your relationships, your your career, and your choices daily. You give those fears so much credit and too much power in your lives. But it doesn't have to be that way. You and I can change and trust God. We don't have to be ruled by fear. We can step into our disability and uh, let go of our disability and step into our destiny. But it just starts with a healthy fear of God. Is He this awesome being is he able to do all that we ask and imagine and more so or or is he is he just 
a baby in a manger, or is he the all-powerful ruling God? We can trust that big God. And so my challenge to you and I is that you and I would live in awe of him. Live in awe of him. Focus our thoughts on him. Focus our prayers to him. See, when you start praising God for who he is in prayer and in worship, man, the the things you're afraid of get smaller and smaller. And, And when God gets bigger, those things just look tiny compared to this mighty God. And that doesn't happen until we, we focus our mind on who God is through prayer and worship and reading his word and being reminded, man, God can do anything. I don't know what you fear, but I can tell you this. It pales next to him. It pales next to him. Uh, my daughter... Um, tried out for district honor band and so she said in order to get ready for that the the band teacher had her come up front in front of the whole class friday who she tried out yesterday for the district honor band so he brought her up front friday in front of the whole class and she was telling me about this thursday night and then friday on the way to school we prayed because she was afraid i don't want to do it i don't want to get in front of the hundred kids and play my music in front of them i'm scared I'll pray for you. God's able. It's going to be okay. I'm trying to encourage her. And she gets home Friday, and I, say, and I texted her, I'm praying for you. And she gets home Friday, I said, how did it go? She said, I didn't have to do it. Everyone else went but me, but I'm a Zwimke with Z, so I had to go last, and we ran out of time. I said, isn't it awesome <laughs> to be a Zwimke? Yeah! Does come in advantage once in a while. I looked at her, I said, Shay, learn the lesson right now. You lived in fear for two days, worrying about playing in front of those kids, and it never came to fruition. You had nothing to fear. Guys, we have nothing to fear. Our God has got our back. So as we close... I want you to identify that fear in your heart right now. You can bring the lights down and start the music. I want you to just do business with God right now. What is it that you're fearful of? I want to lead you in a prayer. If you've identified what that is, it could be failure. It could be a relationship. It could be a circumstance. It could be the unknown It could be a dangerous situation. Go ahead and say, God, just admit it to him right now. God, I'm afraid of this. Now, comes the fun part. By faith, just tell God. God, when I compare that to you in your majesty in your power in your glory in your goodness and your ability God it make that thing so small as I turn my attention to you help me to believe by faith that you are greater than what I fear that I have nothing to fear you're the God who is gracious and good And I can trust you. And today by faith, I trust you more. I believe you more. I fear you more than I fear that.
tell them that right now. And by a spirit's presence, may he set you free. Set us free from fear, God. And Father, I, I know where I was without Christ. I feared death. I feared eternity. I feared the weight and the guilt of my own sin. And if that's you here this morning, can I tell you that is exactly why Jesus Christ came. That's why the angels came and announced his coming and his presence. He came to deliver us from all sin and death and hell and to give us eternal life and freedom and forgiveness in him. If you're struggling with the fear of death, if you're struggling with the fear of eternity, if you're struggling with the fear of the guilt of your sin, no one looking around, just slip your hand up and admit that those are fears I have. See you. If you fear those things today, Jesus Christ wants to enter your life forever to remove those fears once and for all. Jesus is the death of death. Jesus is the conqueror of sin and hell. He died and rose from the dead to give you life by faith in Him alone. Not by your good works, not by coming to church, but by Jesus being the solution to all those things, you can have freedom from them today. So if you raised your hand or didn't, and that's the fears you struggle with, I want you to pray with me. If you're ready to say, Yes to Christ. Not only is the one who will forgive you, but you're taking Jesus as the one who will now lead you. Will you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I turn from my sin. I want to be free from the fear of death and hell and the grave. And I want to know for certain I have life in you. And so I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior, as my forgiver, and as my leader. I believe you're the solution. I believe that you're enough. I believe you're the Son of God who died for me and who loves me and is now with me. God, we thank you. With you, there is no fear. In Jesus' name.